Now 
Well, hello again. You know, um, before Jesus returned to the Father, he gave his disciples, his closest of followers, some important instructions. We know it from the end of the Gospel of Matthew. We know it also as the Great Commission. Jesus told his followers, he said, Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have taught you. Jesus has given the church, that's us, all believers around the world today, two ordinances, two things that the church is commanded to do by the Lord Jesus himself. And one is communion, which we will Um, gather around and use as a a way to remember the sacrifice of Christ. We'll do that later on in our gathering. And the other one is baptism. Baptism is what happens after you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible does not teach that baptism confers any element of salvation to us, to the believer, But it is what is called believer's baptism in that after a person understands their need for a savior to save them from the penalty of sin for them personally and they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they then make that decision to be baptized and Jesus commanded it. It is simply an outward expression of a transformation that has already occurred in the heart. And so therefore it is a public display, letting all people know that are are hearing and seeing that that person has trusted in the Lord Jesus and in him alone for salvation. Baptism is a wonderful part of being the church and it is something that we get to celebrate together. And so this morning, I do have the great privilege of inviting my good friend, Chris Curiali. Why don't you come on down? Chris, this is big Chris, by the way, just so you know. That's what I said. You can see him, right? You got him? He's doing good. When I met with Chris a while ago, and and, uh, he actually requested and asked to speak to me, and and he... uh, said that he was interested in being baptized. And, you know, and I asked him what that was about and why. And, you know, he is so mature for his age and understands what it means when the Bible says that, um, that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And so he has put his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus and wanted to be baptized in front of all of his friends and family. That's all of you. But also that day, Chris came prepared with a lot of things that he already knew that he wanted to share from his heart. And so I want to give him that opportunity now. And so, Chris, why don't you do that? Take the opportunity now to just let your friends and family know what God has put on your heart. I want to get baptized because I love Jesus and he's in my heart. I'm here because of Jesus and also my family. I just want to tell my favorite verse, Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his, into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God, and it's he is who made us, and bless his name. I'm 
I memorized that verse when I was three years old. Thank you, Pastor Keith, for baptizing me. When I get baptized today, I'm going to try my best to be good all the time and show everyone how much I love Jesus. My grandma thinks I'm going to be a pastor one day. We will see what God has planned for my life. God, God bless everybody. Amen. Thank you, sir. That was that was one of the best jobs ever. Thank you. Very thoughtful. And, and um, it is a privilege to be able to baptize in Chris today. You know, uh, I mentioned that in Matthew 28, Jesus gives us that great commission. Um, but also in Romans 6, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Baptism, again, is a beautiful symbolic expression of our death, burial, and resurrection spiritually with Jesus Christ. So Chris, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Have you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for yeah. your personal salvation. Yes. And do you now, before all your friends and family, and according to what you just said, you, uh, you commit to live for him for the rest of your life? Well, in that case, I have the great privilege of baptizing you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It is such an honor as a pastor to be able to participate in this. Um, I challenge you now, before I pray and we continue in a time of worship, I challenge all of you to help Chris and his family to lead him in the ways of the Lord, to continue to teach him not only by word, but by example in what the Lord Jesus has taught us to do. It's a big part of being the church, amen? That we would continue to gather in community and help each other, especially our young ones, follow the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we continue to worship you, we give you all praise and honor. Father, thank you for this great, great honor we can celebrate together with Chris and celebrate the new life in Jesus Christ that he has by putting his faith and trust in you alone. So, Father, may our continued worship uh, bring you glory and honor. May we celebrate with our hearts and join our voices together. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand together and continue to worship the Lord. Amen.
All right, if we can uh, make our way back to our seats. And uh, of course, this is also the time when uh, our children get to uh, go down the hall and have their time of worship and, uh, and the Word with their teachers. And uh, so it's been so great uh, to be able to worship together already. And so exciting to be able to participate in, uh, in an awesome baptism. Didn't Chris do a great job just sharing from his heart? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And so now we have the great uh, honor of being able to, um, to come around his family and to help him grow in the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, I want to just use this opportunity as well to encourage any of you, if you have not been baptized, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, for the salvation of your sin and you have not yet been baptized, please see me or you can see Chris. How's that? And he'll tell you all about it, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, just let me know because again, it's something the, the Lord Jesus commands us. Again, it doesn't bring us salvation, but it is after we have been saved that we publicly declare that. And uh, so if you have not been baptized and you're curious about it, have questions, why do we believe this? What does it look like? And all that, then uh, please come and see me. Uh, that would be wonderful. So before we open God's word together, I uh, just want to get caught up in where we are in the life of the church, so we call this church life, of course, and just a few things that I want to highlight and make sure we're on the same page. First, I want to say thank you on behalf of um, all the leadership uh, for praying, praying for the people of Ukraine and, of course, the people in Russia that are uh, you know, innocent in all this and involved, and so we've been sending our prayers out. Um, our prayer warriors have been gathering, and you know, you've been seeing those emails and um, if you don't know already, we actually um, support and have for many years missionaries who worked in the Ukraine for almost 20 years. That's the Bakers, Jim and Liz Baker. They've been here many times. We were actually their sending church many years ago. Uh, they have been back in the States uh, in uh, Virginia for many years, and they have a ministry there that they're setting up, but they still work with their, uh, their ministry that works closely with people in the Ukraine, especially marginalized people groups like the Roma or people that um, have uh, physical needs. Uh, and, um, uh, and so they have been helping tremendously. And so it was uh, really eye-opening to be able to have a Zoom call with them uh, earlier this week and to, to just kind of see where their hearts are. And they just looked worn out from praying and from getting constant texts and voicemails, phone calls from friends and family like us around the, around the world and from their close friends in Ukraine. And uh, so they send their thanks for praying. Uh, and uh, there is a way to give. And in that email, there's a link that you can uh, use to give. But there's many different ways that we can be giving. Some of you have found some already and let me know. And, and uh, Brother Andrew, who heads up uh, our missions team, mentioned that he even through God's providence, met a Ukrainian priest who said that uh, down in, I guess, South Jersey, that in their church they are collecting supplies, not necessarily money, but they're collecting supplies. And so through the bakers, our missionaries, um, the church is donating money, and we can individually donate money. But if you're interested in how you can donate different supplies and uh, um, you know, hygiene kits and things that people will need, basic necessities of life, there are many ways we can do that. You can talk to Andrew about what he found out. Uh, just heard recently, um, Claudia found out that the Seagird Police Department is 
collecting donations. Uh, there's a couple of local restaurants that are now advertising that they're doing that. And um, so we just encourage you, look for opportunities to help people as the Lord leads you, right? And so most importantly, we pray. And that's something that we can all do, amen? And that we can pray for God's, um, God's providence and for God's will to be done. Uh, before I, I continue on, let me read this to you. This is, um, this is from Psalm um, 33. I read this to our leadership on Tuesday night in our, our monthly meeting. Psalm 33 says this, um, It says, let all the earth fear the Lord, and let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. So blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage the lord looks down from heaven he sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth he who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their needs and then it says the king is not saved by his great army and a warrior is not delivered by his great strength and the war horse is a false hope for salvation and by its great might it cannot rescue Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in time of famine. Boy, does the word of God not make it clear that God, no matter what is happening on our planet on any given time, no matter who's in charge and who is making decisions, God ultimately is sovereign and in control. Do you believe that? And even says that he knows what nations are doing. He controls those nations. And uh, kings and leaders may think that they are in control, but ultimately they are not. And all those things uh, in the end are futile because God will have his way. And victory is always won in Jesus Christ. I will share a little bit more from our bakers in a few minutes uh, during the morning message. Uh, but just to finish up our, our getting caught up on church life, remember that our Dig Deeper a Sunday morning Bible study uh, has begun. We started a few weeks ago and with uh, our uh, elder Bruce Neary teaching on early Genesis, talking about uh, issues with creation, the days of creation. Were they 24-hour days and was it a real seven-day week? And uh, what about Adam and Eve? Were they real people and what did that look like? And how about even the flood and how can we know that it was a real event? And so Bruce has been studying these topics for years and so I'd encourage you to join. We had a good turnout this morning, but that's every Sunday morning starting at 9.30, so from 9.30 to 10.15. You can come in a few minutes early, grab your coffee and your breakfast, and head down the hall to Classroom A, and so that'll be an opportunity every Sunday morning. But Bruce uh, kicked off that, uh, that series on early Genesis this morning, so I, I um, encourage you to take advantage of that. Uh, and so um, we also have an opportunity, this is new, this Friday night, March 11th, there will be a worship night at uh, the Allenwood Church. Those are our friends. So Dave Berkey is the pastor, and uh, we've had them here a few times and had different events together, co-sponsored events. And so they're having a, a, just a, a beautiful worship night this Friday evening at their church, the Allenwood Church. It's right in downtown Allenwood. 
You guys know where the general store is. It's just a few doors down from that. But it's this Friday. Of course, you don't have to sign up, but that's open to everybody. So we wanted to make sure that, that uh, he just let you know that everyone is welcome. So you can go to their website and get more details, but it's at 7 p.m. this Friday, just a night of worship and prayer uh, at, um, at the Allenwood Church. Right? So I encourage you to, uh, to take advantage of that. It's also on our website as well. You can just go to trinityallenwood.com and get all the information. Uh, there will be, hosted by our missions team, at the end of this month, on uh, Sunday, March 27th, a prayer march. So it's the month of March, and so the missions team has decided that what a, what a great way to close out that month would be after service to gather in downtown Lakewood and to pray, to walk around the center city there in Lakewood and pray for people. And so right after service, we're going to ask anybody that's interested, we're going to go and and uh, meet in Lakewood, in downtown Lakewood, at a, at a designated area. And from, there will be a time of corporate prayer. And from there, break up into groups of two or three and go out into the general area there around Center City and pray. Pray for people as you're walking. Pray for the city. Pray for God's uh, providence and protection. Pray for salvation to all that will listen. We know that there is a large population of uh, Orthodox Jewish uh, people there, and we're praying for them. And there's a large Hispanic community there. What an interesting dynamic that we have in Lakewood, right? And so we want to go and pray for all the people of that, that city in need and uh, pray for people as we come across them and just ask them as the Spirit leads, hey, we're from a local church and we're praying for your city. Would you like prayer? And you never know what God's going to use, right? In order to, to, uh, to open conversations or at the very least just pray for somebody and see how the Lord will use that. So you'll hear more about that, but that's on March 27th. Also, that's listed on the event page of our website. Uh, we uh, Two more quick things. And so later on, uh, a couple, uh, actually the week after that, so April 2nd is a Saturday. The Trinity Kids uh, Children's Ministry will be hosting an Easter egg hunt. And uh, you'll hear more about that. But for our young ones, adults, uh, if you have kids or grandkids, you can bring them. Um, but it's for our kids, our Trinity Kids Ministry. They'll be inviting their friends. And so it's a great opportunity to get the kids together again to have some fun, but uh, most importantly, to be able to share with the children and their parents the true meaning of Easter, and uh, even as they hunt for the eggs and open them up, to be able to realize what we celebrate is the risen Christ, the resurrection. It's what uh, we call it Easter, Resurrection Sunday, even better, that we uh, celebrate the fact that Christ is no longer in the grave or on the cross, but he is risen indeed. And so this is a way to get the kids to understand that and uh, to get them together to have some fun and, um, and to hear from the word of the Lord, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ who has risen from the grave. And so it's amazing. We mentioned that. We mentioned Easter. And yes, it is quickly approaching, right? Yeah, I mentioned that last week, how time is flying by. And that happens this season too, doesn't it? Even as the weather changes, it's going to be so warm today, uh, so beautiful. And so... Uh, keep that in mind for all the kids in your life, and you'll be hearing more about that, but that's April 2nd. And then finally, um, last announcement for this morning, on April 13th, and this is a Wednesday night, April 13th, we will have uh, Scott and Corey Schwartz with us. They are missionaries that we partner with and support with Life and Messiah, and they are bringing the gospel to the Orthodox community in Lakewood. Um, uh, Scott is going to come and lead us in a Christ in the Passover Seder meal. It will be the full meal. We will be able to gather together that Wednesday night. 
And as we enjoy that meal together, the traditional Seder meal, he will walk us through where we can see Christ in that traditional meal and what it means to our Jewish friends, but most importantly, what it means to us as Christ followers. And so we did that a number of years ago uh, here, but uh, I was glad that we were able to do that again. So that is April 13th. It's a Wednesday evening, so that'll be in place of our Wednesday evening gathering. And it'll be um, a, a Seder with um, Corey and Scott Schwartz, right? And so I would encourage you, if you have never been to one of those, it's an incredible experience, and it's so enriching of our faith and our understanding of the Jewish Jesus and the, the, the Jewish background of our Lord and Savior and how we can see um, Jesus Christ and all that he brings to us and all that he teaches us, even in something um, like the Seder uh, meal, the Passover meal, right? So make sure you make a note of that. Be looking for that more on our website. Uh, that's April 13th, a Wednesday night. So there's much more that we could talk about um, and just continue to go to our website, trinityallenwood.com. And uh, remember that our services are live streamed. And so if you are away or sick or not yet ready to come back and you're listening, uh, we're glad that you could all join us online, but uh, take advantage of that as well, and you can always go back and watch one that you missed, or if you're away, you can uh, follow us live online, again, on our website. So um, what we're doing is we're continuing in our series in uh, the books of First and Second Peter, and um, it won't be up on the screen for you today, and so I would encourage you to, to grab your Bibles. There should be Bibles on the chairs in front of you somewhere, so make sure you have one. Uh, and we are still in the book of First Peter, and we're looking very simply at First Peter chapter one, verses six through nine. Just those few verses, verses six through nine. So I just want to give you a, a quick um, review of where we are in Peter and what about Peter and why we're studying this. But um, uh, First and Second Peter, those letters that you find towards the end of your New Testament in your Bibles, were written by the apostle Peter. And he was one of the close associates and friends of Jesus Christ. Uh, we know that Peter um, kind of was, in many ways, for lack of a better term, a hothead at times. And uh, could kind of let his emotions get the best of him. Because any, anybody relate to that, right? Peter tends to be the disciple of Jesus that most Christians can relate to because of that. And he tends to be um, the perfect model of discipleship. Now, it doesn't mean everything that he does or that he did that we should do, of course, because we can learn from people when they make mistakes and are disobedient to the Lord as well as when they are exemplary in their faith in Christ, right? And so we can learn from the good, the bad, and the ugly of uh, the Apostle Peter. And um, I think we have more of that about Peter than any other disciple because more is written about him. Peter kind of became the de facto leader of all the disciples. He he loved to speak, and he kind of had some leadership qualities. And if you remember Jesus, when Jesus first met Peter, of course his name was Simon, and Peter, uh, Jesus gave him a new name and said that you will be known as Peter. And of course we know it translates to, uh, to Petros, or rock. And so um, Peter was the one who declared Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of God. And so Jesus said on that truth that Peter declared that Jesus will build his church and so we can look at Peter uh, as a good example of sort of the, the flow and the journey and the life of a disciple, which is what we are as followers of Jesus. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, then you, 
you make this choice, am I going to follow him? You remember our theme for this year, right, where Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, then what are we to do, right? He says, you want to be my disciple, you are to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, calls those who want to, who make that commitment to follow him. But he says it's about self-denial, it's about putting him first in all things. It's about taking up our cross daily. The carrying of the cross was symbolic of accepting that the Roman leaders were right and that you were wrong. It was saying that the Romans were the way to follow. And so Jesus says, if you take up your cross and follow me, you do it daily, that you are publicly declaring, now as a disciple, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through him. And so that is what we are called to do as disciples. That is our verse our theme verse for the year. And Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And so we are looking at the life of Peter and of these two short letters that he wrote. And uh, the last thing I'll give you is just a, a point of review, is remember the people, and this is really important, church, the people that Peter wrote these letters to. They were Christians, many of them Jewish Christians. Remember, the first Christians were Jewish, right? And they um, then believed in the Lord Jesus as their Messiah. They were scattered. These Christians, Jews and Gentiles, were scattered around the known world. And he lists the, the cities and the regions they were in. And he writes them these letters so that they would pass them around because these believers were not only scattered, they were in exile because of persecution. And they were called the dispersion, he called them, or the diaspora. Because they were dispersed from, it is, as I mentioned last week, what we are seeing happen to the people in Ukraine. Over one and a half million Ukrainians have fled. They are part of a dispersion, which means the scattering, leaving their homeland, being exiled because of an outside force that is pressuring them to do that. They are, in a sense, exiles and persecuted. They are the kind of people that Peter was writing his letter to, to Christians. You know, bakers, the bakers are, are missionaries who are in Ukraine, tell us that the church there is and will continue to be persecuted. Something I didn't realize that, that um, the President uh, Putin, Vladimir Putin, is a, a staunch or claims to be a staunch Russian Orthodox Christian. And his goal is to have all of Russia and Ukraine and any other country he can become Russian Orthodox. And of course, as we can see, by force if he needs to. And so there is a religious aspect to what is going on, a religious motivation. Because recently the Ukrainian people had voted somehow, I don't know how that works, but they had voted that their state church, they have a state church, would be the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. And that's a big part of contention about what's going on. And see, I didn't realize this in the baker's Gave, um, have this understanding and explain that. We can see more of the motivation of what's happening. We know what happens when people are motivated by religion, especially not in a good or biblical way. And so therefore, we are to continue to pray for them. But the people that Peter was writing to, these Christians were dispersed and they were suffering great persecution and Peter simply wanted to encourage them. And so church, we may not be in the same situation as our brothers and sisters in Christ in the Ukraine 
in that part of the world, but yet we can understand from the pages of Scripture, from their experiences, and throughout the last 2,000 years of church history, what it means to be persecuted as Christians. And so that's the kind of Christian that Peter was writing to, to encourage them. And so last week we looked at how he opened his letter and he, he said that they are to be blessed. And he, um, remember he says that, oh, to all of the, those that are in dispersion, he said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you can imagine the people that were receiving the letter like, blessed, we don't feel blessed right now, we are persecuted. But yet he wrote to give them hope. But in our passage today, in 1 Peter 1, 6-9, he continues that thought. So I'm going to read it for you now. Read it along in your Bibles or just listen as I read it out loud. Verses 6-9, through this is what Peter says. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Peter is building upon what he had said last time. So he says, in this, in verse 6, in this you rejoice, meaning in the inheritance. Remember last time we talked about the inheritance that we have in Christ. And it's inheritance not like we can receive on earth in money or any kind of precious thing with value or property. But he says, our inheritance is kept in heaven for us and it is imperishable and undefiled and fading for that so now peter says in this because of this inheritance and uh, it can never be taken away from you or spoiled or defiled he says in this you rejoice but then he puts the button there do you ever talk to somebody and they're doing well and they're they're praising you and giving you great words of affirmation and then they say but kind of changes the whole mood of the conversation doesn't it so like, why do you got a sticky butt in there, right? Here's what Peter is saying. He's like, in this rejoice, and you're at great inheritance. However, it's a nicer way than saying but, but he says, however, for a while, if it's necessary, you will experience suffering. So he is now addressing their reality, the people he was writing to. He says, though now for a little while, remember he's trying to encourage them, this is not forever, this too shall pass. If necessary, meaning if God sees it necessary to allow us to go through suffering and trials, have been grieved by various trials. He doesn't name them, but most likely he's not just talking about physical ailments or relational trials, although that's included it's most importantly he's talking about being persecuted for being a Christian. Because of your faith, because you have worn it on your sleeve, because you've been publicly baptized, and you are proclaiming before other people the name of Jesus Christ, he says you will be grieved by various trials. But then in verse 7, he tells us why. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, 
right, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So our faith will be tested. Our faith will be tested. It happens in many ways. But he says right there in the middle of that verse, he says it's kind of like gold. He says our faith is more precious than gold. Although gold passes through the fire. So what does he mean by that? I think we're all familiar with the idea of gold and um, how it, uh, for many years, until the early 70s actually in this country, was the, the backing and the value of our currency. Um, it no longer um, is the base value of our currency. It's basically just the, um, the good faith of uh, governments that say, you can trust us. And so that's kind of the, the basis of the value of our money. How does that make you feel? Pretty good, right? There's all kinds of uh, economic and political reasons that happen, but nonetheless, we understand what people mean when they say something like, this measures the gold standard, right? We have that idea that gold is like the best of the best, right? We know we just had the, uh, the Olympics, the Winter Olympics, right? And, and what happens traditionally that the winner of the event gets a gold medal. But then second place is what? Silver. And then bronze. Why? Because silver and bronze, even though they are what's called noble metals and precious metals themselves, they do not, um, they do not merit the same value and worth that gold does. Gold is first and best. So we understand what that means. But see, when gold is mined from the earth, of course it is an element, it's a precious metal, it's called a, a noble metal because it rises with a few others above all other elements and metals. That gold in and of itself, when it is mined from the earth, is not yet pure. So it has to go through a purification process. It's called smelting. It's basically when you melt at extremely high heat a precious metal like gold. Because what happens is, as the gold is passed through this high heat with tremendous heat and pressure, the impurities that are in the gold rise to the surface and they are then scraped away and the whole process is repeated over and over and over again until the impurities because of heat and pressure rise to the top and they are scraped off and in the end you have pure gold. See, those impurities that rise to the top through the process that are then scraped off is called dross. Did you ever hear that word? Kind of an old-fashioned word. It's used in the Scriptures. Dross is the impurities rising to the surface after the gold has been tested by fire. So Peter is saying to those Christians dispersed because of persecution and suffering in great trial, he's like, your faith is more precious than gold. They knew what gold was all about. Gold started being used as a form of currency about 500 years before Jesus Christ. And all around the world. And so people understood the nature and the value of precious gold. But Peter is saying to these people, look, you're going to go through trials right now. And if God deems it necessary, you will but keep your faith. Stay strong in the faith because your faith, to God, your faith is greater than gold. See that? 
So he says, what he's saying is just like gold goes through the refining fire and all the impurities rise to the surface becomes so that it can be purified over and over again, he says it's the same way with our faith. Our faith must be tried in many ways, in different ways. It'll look different for each of us, but Christians will be tried for their faith. And maybe it even looks like brothers and sisters in Christ in the Ukraine at this time and point in history their faith being tried and tested but see Peter is saying to people like that he's saying your faith is more precious to God and to other believers than even gold but yet it must pass through the fire he says this is why you are grieved with various trials verse 7 so that the tested genuineness of your faith is this truly gold let it be tested more precious than gold it is that perishes though it is tested by fire even gold even gold with that can withstand so much so hard to destroy peter says even gold one day will be destroyed even gold one day will be of no value whatsoever you cannot take it with you, although many people have tried. But our faith is what sustains us. Our faith more precious than gold, but yet just like gold, our faith needs to pass through the fire. And why? So that impurities, those things in our lives, those sins we continue to commit in the darkness of our minds, those things that we are disobedient of to the Lord, all of those things that, that God knows are impurities in our life because we are not yet made pure and perfect, not until He returns, right? But yet, our faith must be tested, just like gold through the fire, so that the impurities in our heart and mind can rise to the surface, so to speak, and be scraped and wiped away, never to be added back, so that over and over, and unfortunately, church, I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you the good news that this trial, these tribulations of our faith, it will continue to happen. It's not a once and done thing. It's over and over, just like the precious metals, so that more and more impurities come to the surface. But our faith is tested, Peter says, and that's what's happening to them. Because when that gold is mined, it is mixed with other impure materials and so it needs to go through that process so that the impurities can be separated and removed by incredibly high heat and pressure. You ever get that sense in your life? That the heat is turned up and there's much pressure on you, especially because of your faith. I'd like to read for you now a portion of a text that I received from Jim and Liz Baker yesterday. I had been asking them how it is that we can give, and they sent us a link to be able to do that. But here's what she says, even more importantly. Liz says, Jim and I have tested this link to make sure it can go through. All monies donated will be used directly for humanitarian aid. And then they go on to share something personal. We have sisters in Christ. In parentheses, it says, their husbands, fathers, and sons had to stay and defend their homeland. These sisters in Christ have made it to Poland 
and western areas of Ukraine. They are safe and helping others get out of their cities. Again, some of these women and children have gone back in to help rescue more people. This is all women and children, exclamation point. Our sisters have an international business that facilitates Ukrainian students to study abroad. Hence, they have a European bank account and have done all the legal documentation in order to receive money transfers from outside the Ukraine. I read that because they then say, only by God's grace, that that was set up ahead of time. These three sisters of ours in Christ, Masha, Olysia, and Katya, came to faith through our student ministry back in the 90s and early 2000s. We have seen their witness spread throughout their families, colleagues, and neighbors. They are even now desperately requesting financial assistance to help get people to safety away from all the shelling. These women that the bakers are working with, that we can help support, they're not asking for the money for themselves. They're asking so they can go help other women and children. All of these three women spent their first seven nights of the war in their basements. They all give glory to Jesus for the miracles they have experienced. For example, Masha got out with her aging mother, and they are temporarily with a family just outside of Warsaw, Poland, and it is a Christian family. Can you believe it? Only God can do this. The body of Christ is under persecution in Ukraine. Their faith is being tested through fires and floods of unimaginable proportions. Their words. We know Jesus is in their midst, and we are hearing testimonies of that very truth. Please continue to pray without ceasing. Thank you and your church for steadfast support and prayers. And then she says, again, all help goes to food, travel, medical supplies, very basic human needs in order to help these women and children flee certain continued bombardment. With love, but full of hope, Liz and Jim Baker. They are full of hope, even in the midst of those trials. These people that they led to the Lord when they were there back in the, the 1990s who stayed raising their families in their homeland are now in great need. And the bakers, as I said before, they look worn out because they have friends and family there that they love so much. And so we can feel for them, can't we? We can sympathize and empathize in many ways with them. Well, in our remaining few minutes before we, um, before we conclude our time together, through the bread and the cup, remembering the Lord's sacrifice and his suffering. Talk about suffering. Just three quick points that I want to make from our passage today. Remember this. Our response to suffering is noticed by God and by others. How do we respond to suffering? What does our faith look like? First of all, Peter says we can rejoice. You don't feel like rejoicing when you're suffering, do you? <laughs> he says, in this you rejoice, in verse 6. In this you rejoice. You can imagine the, the readers of the letters getting this. But yet we just heard from the bakers that are their sisters in Christ in Ukraine are rejoicing at the miracles they are seeing. Even in the midst of shelling, they're rejoicing because God is with them and they know it. We can rejoice in suffering. Do we do that? 
in verse 8 later, he says, we can rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. When we go to worship, we can express our joy. Remember, joy is not happiness. Joy is that inner peace, that inner happiness that only comes from Christ that is not based on our circumstances. So biblically speaking, and according to our faith in Christ, we can have the same joy that our brothers and sisters in Ukraine can experience right now. Because true joy in Christ does not, um, does not depend on our circumstances. And Peter says it's a joy that we can't even express. Do you ever feel so elated and so joyful in the Lord that you don't even know what to say or how to say it? He's saying you can do that in the midst of trials. But not only can we rejoice in our suffering, but suffering for the believer brings refining. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Our faith is tested, and church, this is good for us. This is good for us. It removes the impurities, the sin, the disobedience, the lack of trust in our Savior. Peter, later on, he's in verse 16 of this chapter, we'll see in a week or two, he quotes from Leviticus in the Old Testament and says, for the word of God says, be holy, for I am holy. See the point Peter's trying to make? Your faith will be tested, the impurities will rise to the surface. You, you want to discard them, because God says, be holy, because I am holy. We will never attain that perfect purity and holiness on this side of heaven. But yet, in our actions and the expressions of our faith, we are to seek that out and to welcome and rejoice the refining fire of trials and testing. Then finally, not only is our faith, can we rejoice in suffering, and we are refined in suffering, but our suffering, finally listen, it reveals the glory of God. And that should be most important to us. That our lives, God gave us our lives to bring Him glory. It is called in the Westminster Catechism, the chief end of man to worship God and enjoy Him forever. To bring glory to God and enjoy Him forever. So that is why we are created. That's why we exist. To bring glory not to ourselves or even to others, but to God. So in all that we do, in word or in deed, do it in the name of the Lord God for His glory. So therefore, our suffering, not only we, we can rejoice in it and it refines us, but it reveals God in us. He says in verse 7, it results in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And what does he mean? He means the soon return, the coming of Jesus. He comes back. That's when we receive our glorified bodies and all people said amen, right? But also that is the final stage of our salvation. We don't often look at it this way, but salvation in a way has three tenses or three stages. Salvation has a past, present, and future tense. It is justification, which is when we are set right before God at that moment we believe we are justified. But then the whole rest of our lives following Christ is our sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. It's a part of our salvation process. We are saved in Christ and we are justified, but then our sanctification is the lifelong journey of going through trials and testing, being obedient and trusting the Lord so that the impurities 
rise to the surface and are scraped off as dross. See? But then the third phase, not only is it justification, sanctification, but the last phase that Peter's talking about is glorification. When he says that you will, that Jesus Christ will be revealed. He later says in the last verse, in verse 9, it is the outcome of your salvation. It's that final stage when sin no more is present in our lives. When we are in the presence of Jesus Christ, at that moment he takes us home because sin cannot enter into his presence. Hallelujah. So, our suffering reveals God in us. Remember from last week, Peter says, we are saved to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Psalm 40, which is one of my favorite psalms that I quote often, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock and he made my footsteps firm. He put, listen, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God so that many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Our suffering reveals God in us as we continue to put our faith in Him so others may see and know and put their trust in the Lord. And finally, we don't want to miss this from our passage today. In verse 8, he says these beautiful words. Beautiful words to end with. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him, because He is yet to come. Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. These Christians that he was writing to, they had not seen Jesus in person. Peter did. But these are like the first generation of Christians who became believers without ever seeing or hearing Jesus in the flesh. So Peter's reminding them, he's like, you are blessed because you believe without even seeing him. But then he says, even though you don't now see him, you believe in him because one day you will, church, one day we will see Jesus Christ face to face. Amen? We look forward to that day. But until then, we are to keep the faith, especially in the midst of trials and tribulations. Hmm. As we move into our time of communion, hopefully you grab one of these on the way in. If not, take a moment to get one, please. They're in the table back there, <clears throat> right between the, the two double doors. When we take the communion bread and cup, here is what we are doing as an important reminder. We are very simply being obedient to Jesus Christ. I mentioned earlier, he gave us baptism celebrating that today but he also gave us this the lord's supper we call it or communion because we commune with each other and with the lord jesus instituted this at the last supper remember that when he broke bread and then he took the cup he said we are to do it in remembrance of him first that always reminds me why to remember because we're forgetful people so we can have something symbolic like the bread and the cup that represent symbolically his body given for us and his blood shed for us. 
But he says, do this as often as you get together in remembrance of me. But here's the other thing I don't want us to, to miss. It says in the Word of God, as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Church, in light of what we just read, let us remember that an important part of the communion service is remembering the death and suffering and sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, but in light of His imminent return. Because that, Peter says, is our blessed so what I'd like you to do now is take a moment as you hear the music play. Take a moment quietly to just bow your heads, you close your eyes, and reflect. Reflect on your relationship with the Lord Jesus. The Word of God tells us that we are not to eat the bread or drink the cup in any unworthy manner. So as not to be guilty before the Lord. So we are to examine ourselves. Take a moment. Examine your heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to examine you. Reflect on the beautiful relationship of Jesus Christ. night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat in remembrance of him together. same way also after supper he took the cup and he said these words this cup is a new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it remember it as often as you eat this bread drink this cup proclaim the Lord's death until he comes let's take the cup together remember his death stand with me please let us pray together 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it already is in heaven. We pray today that you would grant us our daily bread, that you would also forgive us of our trespasses, as we also forgive those who have sinned against us. We ask that you would keep us from temptation, deliver us, Lord, from the evil one, because you get all the glory and power and honor. It is all due your name. So, Father, as we now have the great privilege and joy of celebrating that new life in Christ, as we even continue to the remember what it cost Jesus, it cost him everything. May we remember that life given for us as we celebrate the new life we have in him. And Father, finally, we look forward to that blessed hope, the return for us. Lord God, come quickly. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, but until then, may we be found being men and women of strong faith, even during trials and tribulations. God, that we would rejoice in the midst of them, that we would welcome the refining fire, and that we would then, through it all, reveal your glory so that more will trust and see and believe in you. So, Father, bless our time now of fellowship. May we encourage each other in our faith and enjoy this meal together. And Father, until we meet again, Holy Spirit, go before us and lead the way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, hallelujah. Please make sure you stay. Uh, fellowship for about five, ten minutes as the team gets all the food out and set up and we can enjoy some food together.
Cars on the table now, but somehow you're still with me. It's amazing that you care, love me like I am, and even when I can't, you still love me as I am. Oh, I don't know how you do it, and I know I put you through.
you through it It's amazing that you can Love me like I Love me like I